Hey guys, it's Steve on my phone in Hawaii, where it happens to be turkey season. And it is right now turkey week here at Meat Eater, which means tons of great turkey hunting content, a lot of great offers on turkey gear at TheMeatEater.com, and even a calling contest where I am getting my ass thoroughly kicked. Go find it all at TheMeatEater.com. Hey everybody and welcome episode number 15 of the hunting collective i'm ben o'brien and today i'm joined by none other than ryan callahan of first light hunting and this is ryan's second appearance in the podcast hopefully we'll have a whole bunch more times but in this case we were in sonora texas you joined uh episode number 14's guest casey butler with myself on a hunt down there for axis deer and i'll tell you what we had a ball and uh, you heard it in episode 14 if you listened this is just a continual of that conversation with Ryan and myself. Ryan, if you haven't listened to his first episode on the Hunting Collective, you, you don't yet know that he is the definition of the salt of the earth. He is somebody who cares about the little things. Somebody who um, likes struggle, likes doing things himself. He doesn't like anything automated. And it's just a privilege to be around the guy. It's a privilege to pick up on the way he looks at life, uh, the way he simplifies uh, his existence, and, and the way that uh, he betters everyone around him. And I appreciate Ryan for all those reasons. And I think this was a great conversation. We talked about our hunt. We talked about hunting with a longbow. We talked about um, our feelings around uh, record book animals and what that means. And we did it all driving in a truck. Just like episode number two, episode number 15, we were driving in a truck headed back to Austin, Texas to drop him off. So with that being said, enjoy our drive home. All right, Brian Callahan, can you hear me pretty good? Yes, Ben O'Brien. You think this is the first podcast ever recorded where a guy was driving down the road? You know, I would like to say that we're breaking new ground here, but I I, I know it is not because uh, Dan Doty, former meteor producer, um, actually recorded one, or I should say this in reverse, Joe Rogan recorded Dan Doty on the road back from a Nevada mule deer hunt. I do remember that now that you say that. I remember that they recorded that. That damn Joe Rogan. I know. He comes up. Somebody said they were doing a drinking game for every time I mentioned Ranella, Remy Warren, and Joe Rogan. So get to drinking, fools. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got to take like seven drinks already. We're only a couple minutes into this one. Well, fortunately, it's Friday when we record this. That's so true. if you play it on a Friday... It's just a good excuse. You can do whatever you want. Now, uh, we la- we started our, our last podcast talking about uh, our surroundings. So it just oh, so happens. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. It just so happens we were in a truck then, and we're in a truck now. So go ahead and give me a brief description of your surroundings. Yeah. So uh, the greater surroundings, we're actually, we just left a lovely meal in Fredericksburg, Texas. And, uh, we were sitting in Ben O'Brien's truck and we were heading 
back uh, to Austin for some early AM flights. This is post uh, Axis deer hunt, but uh, it is uh, in the stoplight section of Fredericksburg. I am quite interested to see if we get the same treatment that we did at the uh, hunt expo when we were sitting in a, a truck. Uh, if people look over and see and they wonder if we're on like a overland road race or something with these (laughs) headsets on. If we're the pit crew for a NASCAR race. That's right. Something like that. No, there, no, but hopefully nobody looks at it. It's dark out. If anybody's looking in, they probably have bad intentions. Plus we have the back of the truck is a giant Yeti cooler, the Tundra 210 to be exact, uh, full of, would you say... 200 pounds of access to your meat thereabouts maybe a little bit i i would say yeah every every bit of um i was thinking our yield is pretty high because we did lots of bone-in cuts but each deer has to be 60 pounds a yield don't you think you would think so yeah yeah with the bones in even more so yeah yeah, we had four deer four deer so we're we're heavy, heavy in the bows, meat, all types of gear. We're headed back, but that was I mean four deer. We were there what three days? Yes, three days. Canyon Ranch. Yeah, yeah. Oddly, uh, big days. Big days. Yeah, because you know everybody who listened to the previous episode with our buddy Casey from Hushin knows all about the hunt, but. We'll cover all that again here because we are just leaving the hunt. We're doing another podcast because why the hell not? And uh, God, let's just give it up to Casey. What a, what a lamb! Yeah, what I mean, what up? Just in the back seat. Yeah, he's back there just doing. Gosh, no knows what does, really. Well, but yeah, I can see him glaring at me through the brake lights. Piercing yeah. eyes. Piercing eyes. Yes. Uh, maybe we'll do a phone in where he can just come in and, and comment <laughs> later on about what we're doing. Like we have a question, he can Google it. He can be kind of like our Google guy. Like you know, it seems like all the famous podcasters have like a fella that's there uh, googling the things they need to do. Uh, the long days are, you know, it's summer, so even though like this is not, you're not climbing mountains. Out here in the uh, hill country of Texas. Was that technically hill country? Yeah, I will give it that. Yep. Okay. We were outside yep. of Sonora, Texas. And, you know, it is flat ground. Like, very flat ground. And, uh, you're, you know, it is very hot. Got a little muggy out there. Uh, there's lots of things that stick you. I am pulling lots of cactus out of myself as we speak. Uh, chiggers, ticks, uh, variety of wildlife was, uh, absurd. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're not, uh, exerting yourself crazily as far as like climbing mountains, but the days are very, very long. So, uh, you know, sun doesn't set till eight so you can shoot till eight thirty. um get picked up at like nine o'clock at night eat some food go to bed by eleven thirty. get up at 
four. Yeah, it's full on. There isn't a whole. <laughs> there isn't a whole lot of break. Yeah, and it's. I mean, the heat stays on. What were you saying? Like, it feels like a blow dryer on high heat during the day, but then in the evening it goes to medium high heat. And it feels lovely. It feels lovely. But yeah, I mean, yes. it, it that heat takes it out of you. Anybody who's ever spent any time outside when it's like 100 degrees well knows that is it is not pleasant. And uh, it drains you. It drains you. I mean, even today we, we hunted in the morning and then had, you know, cut up meat in the afternoon. And even, you know, today at 5 o'clock, I was like, I'm, I'm feeling like I have some energy. Uh that I haven't had in the last couple of days because you're just fighting the heat all day. Yeah, standing in the walk-in cooler cutting meat was a nice respite. There was a respite. Um, yeah, it was pretty funny. You know, I don't like to uh, stand around with my mouth hanging open, typically. Uh, but I, for some reason, I'm like, well, you know, dogs vent a lot of heat that way. <laughs> so... I was stand, standing out there. Here's the man who knows what he's doing. The desert of Texas, trying to stock down axis deer. Uh, I would occasionally be like, open your mouth. Do some heavy breathing. Maybe that'll, <laughs> maybe that'll drop that'll your help. core temperature. That'll help vent. That's, hey, man, you're an innovator. <laughs> you're an innovator. There's going to be a lot of hunters out there on the mountain this fall just mouth breathing. Yeah. Because of Ryan Gallahan then. It's like, unzip your fly. You're a true influencer. That's if any way you can. Like, you may die out here. Did you um, tell people about specifically the weapon that you chose for this? And, like, I, I know folks who know you will know that you enjoy this, this weapon, but specifically where you got it and uh, why you choose it over others. So I got a new bow. I actually have... A couple of new bows for the first time in like five years. Um, But I ran into a fellow uh, with last name of Broderick in Alberta. And we uh, got to hunt together one morning. And over the course of looking over the Alberta plain for mule deer, uh, we were talking. And this guy has a hand in making bows with Bushman bows in Florida. And he, you know, I, it's like, you know, if you don't want to spend money, you don't look through somebody else's binoculars, right? That's so right. Like, Boy, I want to get those binoculars. But we were very much on the same page as far as like hunting style, what we held in high regard, what was most important, what we disdained. Um, and I was like, I got to ask you about your bow. Like that, that is a beautiful bow. And, and he kind of walked me through his and, and I kept thinking about it. And finally I emailed him and asked, Hey, want to ask you about making me a bow. And he never got back to me. And then I asked him again. He never got back to me. And I was like, oh, maybe it's just not for me. And then finally he's like, hey, give me a shout if you want me to, want to talk about bows. And long story short, I got a longbow. First first, first uh, longbow ever. And um, so, yeah, I'm hunting with a longbow. 
I obviously, I you know, I've shot long bows, recurve bows, and, and even self bows and things like that. But in the scenario of Axis deer, I mean, we were in a camp with seven or eight other rifle hunters, and the three of us, and then one other uh, older bow hunter by the name of Steve. Steve was a badass. <laughs> yeah. Steve was buds with old uh, Fred Bear. They were bros. Yep. Now yeah. that's just friend picture. Yeah. He, just, uh, he had a, you know how we, uh, as his new age, gen- you know, social media people, we post things. Everybody that is over, you know, 40 can remember the days where you'd show up at a trade show or show up at somebody's house and you'd have a flip, like a photo album of all your, like, printed out photos. And old Steve had a, photo album of all the stuff he killed now this isn't before. bragging he'd say yeah this ain't bragging boys but here's this moose i killed now this ain't bragging but here's these white tails i killed everywhere from 140 inches to 180 inches but you know what was cool is he prefaced all of this before the album ever came out and you could tell there was absolutely no bs in this man's voice but he was like, I just, I'm so excited to see you boys here. Yep. And he pointed at Ben, because Ben killed a buck the first day with his bow. He said, and I was so proud of you when you came in with that buck the first night. And I mean that. I, you, I was so proud of you because you guys are the new generation of bow hunters. Yep. And he'd been bow hunting for like 40 years. Yeah, this guy's 70. And the annals of bow hunting is all the years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's all the years that there are in bow hunting. And so here's a guy who knew Fred Bear. He's been hunting his whole life and uh, comes in there pretty unassumingly. He's not flashy about anything. Just He's, for lack of a better term, sweet old man that that was climbing up a tree to shoot an axis deer, which I, I believe he did. And, uh, it's cool to hear somebody like that because if you and I are lucky enough to be in Steve's position, you know, 40 years from now and be able to tell people that story, that, hey, I, you know, I knew Casey from Hushin as well. We'll probably show him photos of uh, Casey and I at the table. Like, I, this is a real conversation. What do you say? This is a real conversation with Fred Bear. Let me tell you how it went. The very last, so this guy, Steve, has done. You know, if if you were somebody who was like, here's a couple of pinnacles, like ultimate goals as a bow hunter, um, this guy's done them. Yep. And they're in this photo album that he keeps in the in the jockey box, the glove box of his truck. And the very last page of this book is this is a quote, his, uh, I think most, prized picture. That's what he said. Most prized picture. And it's him as a younger man speaking with Fred Bear at a table and he says, this is not just picture taken. We were friends. And um, you know, he had had a good good story about Fred Bear but it was it was really neat because there's like some gravitas with Steve. He's like, this is He's, you're it was important fraternity. to see it passed on. Yeah, and it was important to him. And it was like he felt like we were this, you know, he could probably see himself in us, I'm sure, at some level, when he was that, you know, younger guy talking to Fred Bear. Well, I think he says, like, you guys remind me of me. It's like, hey, you guys just want to do this with your bow and grah. It was, it was neat. 
it, yeah, what a neat person. And one of the reasons you go on things like this, is stumble on a guy like that. But is there, I mean, back to the longbow and why you do that. I mean, obviously, we're all looking for a struggle, right? You know, you want to overcome. You want the, some of us are just trying to find that struggle and whatever it is. Is there, is there anything, like, in your mind that connects you to a longbow? Is there some piece of you that wants to harken back to Steve or harken back to, you know, Fred Bear? Or, or is it just something you enjoy doing as a craft? Oh, I think I'd probably be lying if I said there's not some of all that um i mean really what got my wheels turning on jumping over to uh something other than a compound bow which i certainly don't know the statistics but i would say is by far and away the most popular archery item out there um is just the fact that i was having a lot of difficulty in tuning bows and mentally knowing that my bow was in tune and knowing that I was making a mistake and not, you know, thinking that the bow was out of tune or, you know, or, you know, I had the opposite experience. I having a, a, just a lemon of a bow one time and boy, I was damn near in tears a couple of times, um, that I, I wanted to go, go to something simple, eliminate as much as possible and, you know, I had a bad experience other than the tuning where I, you know, I wounded the only bull elk that I've ever wounded. And, um, and the sight on my bow that I had Loctited in there um, had actually come loose through, you know, I'm sure just hard use. Yep. And, um, and yeah, I whacked this, bo- this bull. Uh, I... I saw it several days later. It was a non-lethal hit, but still, you know, I'd, I'd try to do everything I can to eliminate that possibility at all. And kind of came to the conclusion that I'm not doing everything I can with all these moving parts that you got to have some trust in. So I wanted to have more of the onus on myself than anything. Right. And that's really why I wanted to do it. And, you know, I, I, I was really sick of to the other part of your your question I I was really sick of kind of playing the game of like well you gotta have a new bow every year and you gotta have this sight and this rest and this you know list goes on and on and on and you know and, and I was hearing lots of conversations of well if you're a serious archery hunter you're going to have a new bow every year. <laughs> and I thought, bullshit. <laughs> I know lots of guys that... Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Thank you. I go through a lot of hardships switching bows every year. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, that. <coughs> I think that is a part of the equation. And, and, you know, I think ultimately the biggest part was is when I picked up that recurve and was super frustrated trying to figure out how to be a proficient shooter with the recurve, I was having an incredible amount of fun shooting with that bow. Yeah. And so much more fun than I was having with the compound. And, you know, truthfully, I was like, I am not going to get another bow. I'm going to have yeah. this bow for the rest of my life and call it good. And, uh, 
Yeah, and then now here we are, and I got two new bows, <laughs> um, a new recurve, and and uh, this long bow. But um, you haven't gotten a new bow every year, have you? I have not. So at least you bucked that trend. I have bucked that trend, but this, uh, yeah, I felt felt a little uh, a little fruity, but I had to call this dude, and, and when I got when the longbow finally showed up, I had to call this guy, and, and uh, it's like. I got to tell you, there's just something about this thing. Like, I know, I know this bow and I are going to do good things. <laughs> like, there's just something about it. Like, I just, just love, love the, the way it shoots. And, and yeah. I still have a lot of learning to do. I got thousands of arrows to shoot, but yeah, I'm, I'm digging it. So what's, uh, what's your arrow broadhead set up? Cause I was interested in that. How you set that up? Yeah, so, uh, and this started back in the compound days, but uh, I shoot, you know, a single bevel. So the blade is only angled and sharpened on one one side. Um, Single blade, broadhead, and um, they're pretty darn stout. I shoot, I've been shooting Strickland Helix forever, um, and I... uh, friend of mine that uh met through backcountry hunters and anglers this guy jared babinchek he started a company called bone broadheads and he uh gave me a set of those broadheads a couple years ago now and you know i I just don't switch over to things for the sake of switching over to things like yep especially when it comes to the regard i have for these animals like i'd if I find something that that works, it is very very hard for me to switch. So I, I uh, uh, got this new setup, and and every bow is different, and this longbow is a lot faster. So I had to shorten my arrows a bunch, and 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 it was on the verge of being on a different spine. And these bone brow heads are two hundred grains, whereas my Strickland Helix that I was shooting were one hundred and fifty grains, and the two hundred grain heads, uh, I think. Uh, to fit this setup a little bit better. So, long story short, this is, uh, and these are cut on contact heads, but yep. they're that ads heads. It's like a chisel tip, is what some people call it. Um, and, you know, everybody says like the ideas for like punching through bone is, is the main point of yep. these types of broadheads. But if you break it down, to nothing it they fly fantastic they're super tough and one of the things that i really love about them is uh is you can sharpen them yep and with a recurve um you have a really good chance of actually finding your arrow or with a longbow <laughs> you, you got a really good chance to find your arrow so so you can sharpen those things up and reuse them and and you know i i Man, I I think it's something I, I'm getting a little more averse to as I'm getting older. Is I, I just don't like the throwaway nature of so many things these days. And, yeah. And you know we talked a lot about knives on this trip. And, oh yeah. And uh, you know I had this, or I still have this awesome knife that my dad gave me from this really no, well known knife maker uh, out of Bonner, Montana, Ruana. And I've sharpened that thing up a gajillion times. 
many many times in my younger days the absolute wrong way (laughs) (laughs) uh but you know that's like a heirloom piece and and i'd want to have more of that stuff around and and so yeah i enjoy you know i like being able to grab that broadhead uh you know give it a real inspection make sure it's not bent in any way so it'll still fly straight straight or uh sharpen put that edge back on sharpen it up buff it up and uh and hopefully try to put it through another critter yeah do you feel like you know we go into a camp like we did this this week and there's a lot of reactions between people that are hunting with different styles and different weapons different age groups of course in this camp everybody looks at you with a longbow and i feel like most of them think that it's next to impossible for you to kill something let alone kill a buck of any sort or size in fact our out outfitter was continually making comments like well you'll never kill a black buck or i'll give you know i'll buy your next hunt if you you shoot a black (laughs) like oh really or you know We'll see about this. With this, see how you do. You yes. feel like that's. Uh, I feel like if it, if it, I was in that position, I'd be like, "All right, man. That's one of the reasons that I do this, is because there is people out there that can't conceive of how hard it is to do this, and just are are contented and happy, cracking things with rifles and 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 making those comments. I I gather that's probably the same for you." Yeah, kind of. I mean, to a degree, I, I, I absolutely love a challenge. Uh, I try to be objective, though, also, because, you know, I get, I'm single dude, no kids. I get a lot of, lot of time to hunt, and I get a lot of time to practice, and or as much time as I want to make for myself, really. So yeah. um, the other side is there... Are a, there's a lot of folks out there that I've met and before I jumped in a big hang up I had uh, to going over to you know the traditional archery you know recurve longbow self bow whatever um, side of things was man I, I have guided folks I've been around folks I've been on archery shoots with folks that um, you know have this way of thinking when they're shooting their traditional equipment that I do not agree with at all if you're going to go hunt a living creature with it, which is like, oh, yeah, some days I got it, some days I don't. Yeah. Um, it's like, nope. Well, that's, yeah, then you can't hunt with yeah, that. That's real, that's real unlucky for that, uh, yes. that creature that um, came across. So... Uh, there, there's a lot of bad examples out there and, and there's plenty of bad examples in, in every sport, but, um, or every pursuit or do you have a threshold when you're doing it? Like, Hey, I'm ready now or ah, not quite ready. Is there a threshold or are you just, Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I mean, I chose to bring this longbow with me. Um, I have not had I mean, not even a fraction of arrows through this thing as I have with my recurve at home. Um, you know, my recurve right situation, I'm proficient um, out to, uh, you know, about 45 yards. Yeah. Um, with, like, clear line of sight, I, I can, 
uh, you know, tap a target all day long. Um, with this, you know, I'd, by the end of our hunt, you know, stepping out at lunch and stuff, I was whacking the, the target well, um, out there at about, you know, 35. Um, but I was really, really not, uh, not really willing to go beyond 20 yards. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a, that's a serious setback. Yeah. 20 to 30. Hey, man. It's huge. So Situational ethics. <laughs> yeah. Reared its ugly head. Like, not ugly in this case. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely you have to have limitations. But, you know, I, I, I absolutely hope that everybody listening realizes that every single, you are the m- most limiting factor, yep. regardless of your weapon, right? So, if you got a 30 out six and you can't hit the broad side of a bar and you better not be cracking off shots at any distance in that yeah. situation. So, Hey, it's Turkey Week, March 11 through 17. Free shipping on all orders at First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store, too. You can pick up all the First Light gear that I wear in the turkey woods, plus so much more, including... Meat Eater by Phelps Turkey Calls, which are straight up killers, and Vortex Red Dots at 20% off. We're going to get you set up for the turkey season. So set up, in fact, that all you have to do is focus on that tom. So head on over to TheMeatEater.com, March 11 through 17 for Turkey Week. Is that something, I mean, obviously, when I was a kid, that was instilled in me pretty early on. I mean, you're upbringing was that non-negotiable pretty early on or was it yeah it's kind of interesting uh you know the the bulk of my my i guess formal shooting training came through this outfitter named larry pendleton out of stevensville montana and and he was a the hunting mentor of mine and um ultimately the first outfitter that i worked for and um absolutely loved this man to death and and he could shoot a long, long way. And um, I shot long distances. And, and uh, But we shot... I, I was talking about this the other day. Like, I, I shot so much. And all Larry did was reload and shoot. And... Man, we we would spend hours when we go out to Eastern Montana and set up uh, set up camp. We were shooting all the time. Yeah, like like I said, we'd sit there and uh, he'd find a cow patty, a dried up cow patty out there in the prairie, <laughs> and we'd have uh, twenty two. Yeah, these nylon sixty six. You were shooting the shit. Larry? We were shooting the shit. Literally shooting the shit, Larry. And he'd chuck that cow patty out there. And we'd shoot it, and, you know, the game was just keep that cow patty rolling until it disintegrated. And then he'd find another one and do it again, <laughs> you know? And, and it was fun and games, but it was absolutely building skill. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, that that was really the... And, and honestly, so much, uh, uh, I guess, my ethical compass comes from, comes from that dude and that education. So. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, so we, you know, we have on the last podcast with Casey, we talked a lot about failure and like what it, and success, but but moreover, like what failure does to you in hunting and what it means and why it's a little more serious than failure in golf or failure in, you know, a race of any kind uh, and why hunting failure means a lot more than, uh, and, and really many other hobbies or sports or however you want to couch whatever you're doing outside of your daily routine and we talked you told uh we have a a story of success this week pretty badass success if you ask me pretty unique and then a story of failure that you told i hope you're willing to tell about uh, a different hunt in a different place can you weave those two stories together, just tell them back to back or just kind of give us an idea of like what the success this week meant to you and then, you know, juxtaposed to that failure we talked about a little bit ago. Yeah. Um, uh, boy, I don't know how to succinctly do this. So I guess... Don't worry about succinctly. Okay. Well, we've got... <laughs> we'll be home. We'll be home my house in about 40 minutes. So there's... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, driving through these texas towns man i there's some stuff that i do not expect you know it's like it's kind of funny to me that uh i gotta remind myself that texas is a hell of a lot older than montana even though there's some oh yeah there's some similarities here and there well we're, we're driving through uh johnson city a lot of lyndon b johnson activity here and yeah, let's Lady, not forget ladybird ladybird street Lady Bird Street. Um, so it was this morning. This morning, um, I jumped in with Ben and Casey, and they um, had kind of started brushing a blind, a ground blind. Very poorly. <laughs> <laughs> last night. Um, and we kind of got out the door a little bit late this morning, and then, uh, you know, been in case we're like yeah these deer they really want to get to this water hole and ground blind is uh brush blind is next to the water hole and uh we did some tromping around yesterday but uh you know only water around type of deal so, wow, and i was foolish because we did tromp around this water hole pretty good spooked a bunch of deer off of it invariably and i was like ah, i don't know i've just I think these deer there's a bunch of scent everywhere and there's just been pushed around and uh boy was i wrong um go the three of us going into this brush blind uh partially built brush blind and um we're we have two folding chairs for the three of us and as you know as per usual the the action starts happening before we're like really dialed and man it it was it was wild um so there were deer that came right into the water um ben you were trying to uh fill your doe tag with your bow yeah and we were about you know from the center of this water hole we were probably about 40 yards Mm -hmm. say Yes. So, so on the close side, 30 yards. On the far side, 50 yards. And that doe was like right in the center. And she just was, as these things do, they don't hang around too long. They're not too interested in, in having a long drink, <laughs> as it were. 
And so, yeah, to, to picture it, I guess, if, uh, let's just say, uh, we, the chairs, are facing to, let's, let's say, the north, the water hole would be to the west, and uh, the uh, fence line runs east-west. And uh, there's a road in between us and the fence, and the fence is probably at, oh, 15 yards. And the dead center of the road's 12 yards, and um, so it's pretty tight. And these deer are coming from the opposite side of the fence, and they are picking different spots in the fence to jump over and go to the water. Yeah, we just happen to be on the right side of what they need in between <laughs> in between them and uh, what they have to get at, which is water. And it seemed to me that was about the only water source anywhere close. Yes. And it was apparent that there are a ton of deer in the area and they wanted to get there. So, um, it, like, right out of the gate, here's deer coming in from the opposite side of the fence um, ben and Casey had described like, well, yeah, they jump here. We want them to walk uh, to the west. Uh, when they go behind this tree, you can draw, and then there's your shot. But sometimes what was happening is they go to the east when they jump the fence, and and uh, they, you know, basically caught us by surprise. Well, of course, that's what happens, and there's these two really nice bucks that just yeah as fate would have it jump the the fence before the rest of the herd and they are just right in their lap and I have the longbow and they're coming to the east side which is my right side and I'm trying to pivot over one butt cheek on the, on the folding chair um you know, arrow knocked, and all of a sudden this axis deer is at what, like five yards, maybe? Yeah, I mean, he just turns the wrong, these things turn the wrong way, and then they're in your grill. I mean, they're, and you can't draw, you can't move. These are cagey critters. And I'm, you know, crouching tiger hidden dumbass behind a <laughs> bush, and uh, Casey's trying to film, and you're trying to maneuver a giant long stick with uh, colorful f- you know, feathers on it. Yes, and, um, and, I, you know, I'll be the absolute first to tell you that I, I just do not spend a lot of time in a tree stand or in a ground blind or in a blind at all. And I was a little unsure of exactly how things were set to go. And there was a doe staring right into my soul from across the fence. And it's like, well, you know, it's, it's a very classic scenario, right? It's like, when do you draw? And when you draw you know you're going to alert this doe and but you got to draw to shoot and as this is equations running through your head that bucks right in your lap and and you know we blow that out so yeah, I'm like yeah. well boy I feel <laughs> feel inadequate I believe well, I said. this is our last yeah I feel inadequate this is like we're, this is our last morning we got to we have to drive back as we're doing now and the outfitter doesn't think you can do it. Everybody in camp is kind of like, hey, look at the weird guy with the stick bow. Yeah. And um, you, that, that's kind of feelings in the air. But also, you, 
a new bow and you don't get the Texas to hunt axis deer all that often and there's not a whole lot of folks out there that um, do that I don't believe well, so yeah and, and honestly that was certainly on my mind to uh, more than anything else it's, it's kind of like boy am I an idiot for not just picking up a gun and shooting a deer because I have the opportunity this awesome awesome opportunity to you know hunt and shoot an axis deer and instead I want to put you know the way I want to do it above everything else and and try to get it with this longbow so you know that's kind of like boy I ugh. and here's this deer at five yards and um well and you still can make the, it work right the folks back and catch them who are just poking you like, hey, uh, you're bringing some, uh, you going to bring that uh, meat back? Uh, you yes. Have some steaks for me when you get back. So you got that pressure on you too. You, wanna, you don't want to, for your own personal challenge, uh, have left meat on the table. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. So I got first light office is like, hey, access to your real tasty. Better, better bring one home. Because <laughs> uh, we're going to eat it all. You're not going to eat any of it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I love sharing meat and cooking and stuff. So I, that, that part, that's part of, part of it is fun also. But uh, yeah, one, you know, and we talked about it at the beginning of the hunt. It's like, man, I would, above anything, the conversation was, wasn't how big of a deer do you want to shoot? It was, man, I'd love to bring some, Brings Max steer back, so that's right. So yeah, and you know, here's this buck five yards, another buck at like seven yards, and still couldn't make it happen. I'm just like, oh god, am I just being a jackass? So uh, take a beat. We uh, run around. Ben uh, very correctly surmises that we just need to brush the blind in a lot more. So we haul in um, any sort of uh, loose debris that we can dig up, and and we uh, start stacking it around, and we make ourselves a much uh, much better blind. Yeah, because they weren't they weren't getting us with their uh, most of the time not getting us with their noses. Uh, they were hitting us with the eyes, and that's what. And it was just when they're that close to your grill, and they're staring at the eyes are five yards away. There's not a whole lot you can do other than duck behind something in front of you so yeah and um so then we set up again and keep in mind too like there were some serious times some intense times but the three of us are buddies and we're probably whispering a little bit louder than we should be <laughs> and and shooting the shit the whole time and yes making up on. funny scenarios about strange hybrid creatures and yes we were we had our we had basically created our own Texas ranch, whereas we had our own exotic species. <laughs> hippo and a jackalope had sex and made a hippolope at some point. Yes, a tiny bouncing hippo with big ears. The Havapo. Havapo. It's a javelina hippo, a hippo cross. Because we sell hunts for them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're having fun, and and then. You know, another group of deer start working in, and again, and it's certainly not the way I have seen it, but a buck leads, jumps over the fence. This time, 
it does go west. It goes behind that tree that Ben and Casey said would be the tree to draw behind. Draw. Buck steps out. Has absolutely no clue. And, you know, aim. It's still still walking, but, uh, you know, one thing that I, I am quite certain of with at least with my skills with the traditional equipment is shooting at alert animals is, is not good. Uh, it's a slow arrow and this is only 10 yards may not have mattered at all, but, um, you know, very confident in my shot and take the shot and, uh, bizarre things, things that I have never seen happen at that point. So (laughs) things I had never seen any of it. I had never seen, mustachioed man from Idaho with a longbow shoot anything, let alone an axis buck. The deer... I mean, the deer pancakes on it, onto its opposite side and proceeds to... I mean, it was stunned. Like, deader than the wedge, just to quiver yeah. for a second. And then started kicking its legs and and I mean in its tracks though like you could see the tracks in the dirt that thing tipped over in place uh, I sprinted out of the blind <laughs> um, and, and we'll have to review the footage because supposedly there is some footage here and I, I distinctly remember I hear Ben saying it's down and Casey goes wow <laughs> um, I think a little bit of shock in there. Oh, oh. and I, all I think is, you know, I I must have spined this thing because it it the way of the way it dropped, and I have I have seen some weird spinal shots where the critter does just this, and then it hops up, never to be seen again. So I, you know, sprinted over there. Uh, put another arrow in it, and uh, we kind of proceeded to uh, watch watch uh, this buck expire. Um, and and there's some more detail we can go in there, but to the original question, you know, this is so. There's a little bit of defeat, and there's a little bit of, uh, and, and there is success in this story. Yeah. Um, you know, a story that I, I certainly have talked about before, but. Um, you know, my experience in Alberta last year, the, the animal that I had encountered and stalked through crazy, uh, adverse conditions, things that, uh, exposed terrain that you probably shouldn't be able to stalk a wise old mule deer in and, and did everything right for once and got in, uh, super super close and and proceeded to be extremely patient and wait and wait for that right shot and, and I missed and, and uh, this deer was you know the caliber of deer that uh, no exaggeration I, I will truly uh, never have uh, never never be able to uh, yeah, likely hunt again. Once like, in a lifetime opportunity. Yes, I mean, just seeing this animal was something that, you know, 
very, very serious mule deer hunters will, uh, may never see. And you said, even when you, you saw this deer, you thought, oh man, oh, and didn't get it, didn't get a stalk on him. Oh, I was lucky to have seen that. Yeah. Three well, days prior, I'd seen that deer and I was what like, about your business. Yeah. I was like, wow, I am an incredibly fortunate human being <laughs> for having seen that deer, even though I will never see it again. And I, I just saw it from, you know, two miles away and was planning in my head out of stock it. And then some cattle came in and bumped it out and I never saw it again. And then the last day there, he, you know, I caught a glimpse of him and relocated him and got in there and, and it was an amazing amazing experience and um you know for an really just an incredibly brief brief couple of seconds uh soul crushing but really like that disappeared very fast and and again just like fortunate to be that close and in the presence of that type of animal and and you know, you gotta, you gotta learn from that. And it was a s- series of little teeny tiny victories over the course of hours to get into range on that deer and a series of little teeny tiny victories to get into a shooting position from laying flat on your stomach for hours and series of little teeny tiny victories to be patient enough to wait for the right shot. And then you know the failure of missing, but yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 just a good juxtaposition of you know you're in Texas and you have a super jumpy deer that uh, are always on point, especially near water holes. This one happens to just be so locked in on getting a drink that he doesn't even care that we're ten yards away. Yes, and then you get an arrow in him. Not only do you get a good arrow in him, but he drops in his tracks for what seems to be no real good reason <laughs> other than he got thumped pretty hard with a heavy arrow and he got probably hit through the shoulder on his far side. Yeah, and that's what, uh, you know, I was very anxious to start uh, the uh, the post-mortem, the necropsy, start looking at where that hole was. And, and yeah, it was, you know, it was a higher lung shot and I mean, I, the only thing I can figure is maybe that deer was trying to react to the arrow a little bit, even though I, I couldn't see it with my eye. And I, and that arrow impacted hard, hard, hard. And, uh, you know, yeah, he was anchored, man. Cause that's what I was, you, when you got up, I was yelling, he's, he's down, he's staying down. <laughs> Cause I was looking at like when he was trying to get up kind of how much, because was he getting to his knees? Was was his back legs coming up off the ground? No, he was he was he was lifting his head and his haunches up, and that's it. But he couldn't move, um, which which makes you think, well, he must be spine somehow. But he wasn't. Yeah, uh-huh. and the the bruising on the opposite shoulder, it didn't go through the opposite shoulder. Um, the bruising on the opposite sh- shoulder went all the way to the you yeah. know to the outside of that shoulder. Um, so yeah, that arrow whacked him hard. Yeah. Well, I just think to me, you have this success, you have in a pretty unique situation. 
on a unique animal, and then you have this failure in a pretty unique situation on a unique animal. And um, what I'm hearing a little bit, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like these experiences are um, the wins and those the, the, the two things, the two results are just the two results. Uh, because, you know, we certainly didn't jump up and down and scream about the axis deer, and I'm sure you didn't want to quit bow hunting. Maybe you might have for <laughs> a brief moment or 20. Um, after you weren't, you know, you weren't in any way suicidal after you, you missed one. So it's like these results are important, but it's not all about that. Hey, it's Turkey Week, March 11 through 17. Free shipping on all orders at First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store, too. You can pick up all the First Light gear that I wear in the Turkey Woods, plus so much more, including Meat Eater by Phelps Turkey Calls, which are straight-up killers, and Vortex Red Dots at 20% off. We're going to get you set up for the turkey season. So set up, in fact, that all you have to do is focus on that tom. So head on over to TheMeatEater.com, March 11 through 17, for Turkey Week. No, it's not. I mean, it, you know, I mean, I'm not fooling myself. I'm hunting the way I I choose to hunt, not the way I have to hunt to provide meat for myself um, or provide meat at all, you know. Um, and if it were, you know, just about the end result, I'd be going about things in a hell of a lot different manner. This is... You know, this is kind of a selfish pursuit, and I, you know, believe we talked about this before, but it it is about, you know, honing your game, honing your craft, and and um, you know, I, there there's one pet peeve of mine out there, and it's like this whole struggle stick thing. <laughs> like I I just if this were not a proficient killing tool, I I wouldn't use it. Yeah, because that. Yeah, because wouldn't, it, uh, it just wouldn't be fair to the animal. I mean, it, it, yeah, and it comes off as vanity. Um, it can come off as vanity. It doesn't always. But sometimes um, it seems like some folks are shooting a longbow for, for their own vanity to say, look at me, look how hard this is. Um, because it does magnify your success when you shoot something with a longbow. Um, because it is so hard to do. And it is it is a path that not a lot of folks choose. and it takes a lot of hard work and training to do it. So I think that's, you know, step forward to compound bow versus rifle or muzzle or fire, modern firearm. And so you can make a lot of those comparisons if you want, but. And you know, it, you know uh, old Kenton Carruth said it best. He said, you know, the best thing about hunting with traditional equipment is you get to hunt a lot more. <laughs> right? It's, uh, you're, I love him. You're not uh, putting that meat in the freezer every time you go out. So, uh, I, and there's absolute truth in that to me. Like, you know, the hunting stops when you let that arrow go and it connects or that bullet fly and it connects. Um, and man, I, I love the hunting aspect and I love the fact that I, I will never be as good as I feel I should be. Yeah. And I mean, I think also. That end result thing, this is something I we were talking about earlier that I was <clears throat> intrigued just to talk more about, which was 
that deer in Alberta was not only a once-in-a-lifetime deer, but, you know, might have made its way into certain books. Yes. Um, and those books, being in those books would have given you personally, especially because of the way that you uh, took that deer, quite the leap in hunting circles. You know, like an esteem or, like, status because what you did was pretty damn awesome. And, um, yeah, and, and I, I, and I, you know, I confided to you guys, I, I, you know, that definitely flashed through my mind then. And, but what also flashed through my mind is, you know, this was a big enough animal to where, you know, I would have taken a lot of pictures of it and I'm sure my buddies would have taken a lot of pictures of it and, and we would have talked the, about it like crazy, t- a thousand times more than the miss that we're talking about, the mistake that we're talking about. Um, and there, there would have been, um, there would have been, you know, a lot of talk about like, oh my gosh, look at this is so awesome, such an amazing feat. And the reality is, is kind of undeservedly so, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the big point for me is like that animal is is I mean you're not lucky to come across it. I mean it's just every time you step up and and pick the binos up you're performing, you know, an activity that has a little bit of luck involved, like right place right time, right? But you put yourself in that place and you spent the time out there to to be there when that deer was. But yeah, there's a little luck involved and we were talking about if somebody goes out tomorrow and shoots a world record elk, does that all of a sudden make them the best elk hunter? Right, the world's best. The world's best elk hunter. And I think the the answer is flatly no. And I'm sure in in, in the past in the hunting industry, it seemed like that might have been true maybe, that we kind of let ourselves get fooled by instant success or even even to some level consistent success to the point where we were using that as like this community standing oh man you kill a lot of elk well you must be the best elk hunter without looking at the conditions in which you're doing it yes uh, and the dedication you have for the for the craft of whatever whatever you're choosing to do uh, i think that's a great conversation to look at ba- you know based on that scenario that you were in you know, were you are you suddenly the best bow hunter ever if you took uh, a difficult endeavor, made it more difficult, and then killed you know one of the biggest deer ever to walk on four legs? <laughs> <laughs> that was a black tail and a white tail got together. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, man, that's that's an achievement to be to to be lauded, but that's not a it's not a marker of. Uh, greatness it's just a marker of of greatness in that one situation if it if it would have happened yeah to put put this in in context is to successfully kill that forked horn you have to do all of the same right things that you do to successfully kill that 200 inch deer yeah now that forked horn may on occasion put itself in spots a little bit easier to sneak up on it maybe uh, but it still doesn't want to die. That's right. That's right. 
Well, and, even, and we were saying too, that, you know, say this is a 240 inch mule deer. A 200 inch mule deer is 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 not seven years younger. No. Um, you're talking like these these these, you know, relatively small variances in its genetics and its diet and its stress levels and just a lot oh, of yeah. things. Big wide open public lands. You're talking about an animal that won a genetic lottery. Maybe got a little bit better feed, had a little bit less stress in its life that year. Yeah, and was it? I mean, is it, does, it, does that does the thirty extra inches of antler make it smarter than the one that is two hundred inches? No, it doesn't. Uh, we just covet and value, and in my opinion, you know, fetishize or overly value these things to to extent that clouds our judgment on like what what makes us good at this thing. You know, what makes us good at hunting? Why why are we good at it? And what the hell does it matter if we are? Like, if you're proficient and you love what you do and you care like you do of being proficient, no matter what you choose to do, what the hell does it matter? Yeah, man, because I, I, what matters to me is you take that, you take the right shot, which is when you let that arrow go or squeeze that trigger, you know something is going to die. Yeah. Now, it doesn't always happen that way, and it sure as heck hasn't happened all that way for me all the time, but, you know, I, you're not let, I don't let that thing go and be like, boy, I hope this works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and so you deserve that. You deserve all the credit in the world for that, as do every other, as every other hunter does who works hard at what they do and, and cares about it. Even in any of your weekend warrior, if you go out to the range and make sure your rifle's on and you understand where you're going, what you're doing, you deserve what you get. You deserve the, you know, the output from the input. Like, that's what you deserve. And uh, we were talking about a, uh, you can tell me the gentleman's name, but the guy who killed the world record elk in Montana on public land, this is a guy who was a legit hunter. Yeah, uh, uh, Steve Felix. Steve Felix. And, and Steve Felix kills his world record elk on public land. And you've had conversations with him where you can just kind of tell he's he's legit. He, he does it the right way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm always super uh, – it's very revitalizing to have conversations with, with guys because there's, you know, there's so much hubris involved and with a lot of folks that – well, I got the world record, or I got the state record, or, you know, I got a 200-inch mule deer, or 200-inch whitetail, or 300-inch bull, or 500-inch bull, or whatever. So, um, but yeah, this guy um, has the world record archery elk, public land, and he hunts his butt off, and he hasn't been a dedicated i'm gonna kill the biggest thing all the time that's what i do guy until recently and um it's it's just neat he's like yeah what you know montana you pass a bull up you may never get another shot and growing up in montana i'll tell you that's the truth and and he's like but you know getting towards 60 and i'm uh Got a lot more time to hunt these days, and I thought, well, I should probably probably try to <laughs> try to get something big. Got a lot of small bulls, so um, it was yeah, it was great. That's great a, just a great. Him. That's a great example, and that's a guy who 
should be celebrated for what he did that day and 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 for who he is and his dedication to hunting and how much he loves it right i mean he doesn't need boy he already has a trophy he doesn't need <laughs> he doesn't need one doesn't need another one yeah um, and you know he uh my big question to him when we spoke this year i said well steve man what uh how was it driving into your spot and did you see any other folks said not a, not a single person and and he hunted his butt off and he found another nice bull and and you know he's one he's a guy who's like man it's it's, it's just a great spot and he, yeah. and he didn't get the bull never never let an arrow fly so well you were saying that a lot of people his you know either friends of his or people that kind of knew the history of guys killing world records were like hey you got to cash in on this baby yes like, you got to get somebody to pay you for this you got to get sponsors you got to go on tour you gotta uh, you know you start wearing new clothes monetize it yeah get new carpet you got a lot of stuff you got to do and um and you know my Did point you say is, get new carpet yeah you gotta get <laughs> you gotta get you're just the seinfeld where he's like <laughs> I can't have a menage a trois. I'd have to get new carpet. I'd have to start wearing different clothes. <laughs> and I'm a menage a trois guy. Uh, but when you're a world record elk guy, things are supposed to be different, right? But for the for the wrong reasons, they're supposed to be different because now you're this exalted like hunter. But like, let's just, let's celebrate the animal for what it is because the animal is special. Let's celebrate the hunter for who he is and what he did that day that's about as far as it goes and, and does he deserve to be on the cover of field of stream sure I, i'm not saying that he was but does he deserve that kind of coverage uh, yeah because i love great stories and so does everybody else um does he deserve to get a bunch of sponsors and and be rich along his wildest dreams i guess that's for the market to declare but but i you know i, I would question question the motivations there yes yes um but yeah, I mean, it's just it's nice to see, see those guys that still have that passion for hunting, and then just like our buddy Steve coming out of the uh, Axis Deer Camp, you know that guy. I don't know if I could have been around him when he was younger. He's so fired up to yeah hunt right now, and <laughs> for him to say I'm proud of you guys was like the weirdest, most awesome thing that you could hear from a guy like that. You know, like, you know, I'm I have proud been, of you. I'm proud of, like. This guy feels a connection to because I'm carrying a bow. I could be some asshole. I, I could have, you know, shot that deer in the guts and then picked up a rifle. He doesn't know, but but he just feels like he sees a little bit of himself in us, which was which was fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah, and I, I have been in, in camps where the first hunter to come in with a bull, nobody talked to. Yeah. First day, first morning, first day, first bull. Nobody talked to because all of a sudden it was a reflection on them. Why did they not get whatever? And this guy marched right up to you. and I was so proud of you. I got to tell you boys something. I was so proud of you when you came in with that deer. I mean, my jaw dropped. That yeah. I mean, that's what a, an adult is right yeah. there. That, well, that's I mean, somebody, and they, he was there, I believe, by himself. Yes. Where was he from? I can't remember where he's from. Illinois. Illinois. He came all the way from Illinois by himself because he loves to bow hunt. And he had a crossbow, and he was a little uh, self-conscious about his crossbow because he didn't want to, you know, he's a Pope and young guy, didn't want to get judged. 
but was saying it and then just a, like a, a sweet sort of like hey you know i'm getting older my arm hard to pull that bow back but i so I, I just take crossberry once in a while you know i was like dude that's okay man yeah like you're passionate about hunting you've been doing it for 40 years you've you've earned the right to choose the way you want to do it your your shoulder should be <laughs> should your be sh- shot yeah your shoulder should be falling off by you shouldn't be able to lift a fork let alone lift a crossbow yeah yeah and that i mean it's guys like that you meet guys like that and it's like hey if i could be if i could have steve's attitude in 40 years if i could have steve's accomplishments and, and just steve's general disposition i think i'd be a winner so yeah, absolutely appreciate you steve you're the man darn right we're pulling up to my house now see those deer right there they live in my yard <laughs> <laughs> the see o'brien them. deer preserve oh yeah. my gosh look yeah, at man. they sleep right in the yard this is my yard but that's that's my yard and they just chill out man and they have fawns all back in these these uh this tall grass because they obviously like that protection so i've probably seen I don't know how many fawns. Lots of fawns, though, get born right there here in Texas. Hill country. Gateway to the hill country, Dripping Springs, Texas, everybody. And I want to close this podcast by telling the story. And that right, gal is pregnant. She's very pregnant. So she's going right. She'll get right back there and have that one. <laughs> um, I got to close this podcast by telling the story. I almost forgot about it, but then I said Dripping Springs, and I remembered uh, what was going down. Um, so here's my front yard, and I'll show you the deer that are just eating my grass. Show you heads. There's a whole family unit laying uh, in Ben's front yard. Yeah, we'll just keep driving around so as to not disturb my family. So here's the story. This is great. You're, everybody, you're going to love it. I love it. I'm looking at I it. have to interrupt just briefly. You have a John Deere riding lawnmower. Yes. And I just. I, is that the, not, is that too cliche? Like, uh, it's not. I don't know if it's cliche, but I just for some reason I can perfectly picture you <laughs> riding around in that. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you you don't have a lawn to mow there at the at the, at the, the condo at the DIY condo? Nope. Oh man, it's, when you have a kid and you're mowing the lawn, it's like uh, meditation. Very loud, noisy, hot as shit meditation. Uh, that's what it's like. I'm sorry. Get back to your story, please. It's a very important story. I gotta talk to somebody out there in the world. Probably listening right now. I know he's listening. He told me he does. So, um, you know, I play in this hunt, and I pride myself on my logistical abilities. It's one of the things. One of my few, <laughs> other than talking, one of my few uh, marginal talents, and. Uh, Mr. Callahan, I was like, hey, man, come on down to Texas. And uh, after some convincing and massaging, he was like, yep, yep, I'll do it. And I said, come on down on the 28th of May, Memorial Day. He said, oh, really? Yeah, okay. I bought his ticket. Well, in the meantime, I talked to the outfitter. And it turned out May 29th was a better day to go. <laughs> and then I just neglected to tell Mr. Callahan. And then I neglected to remember that he was coming in on the 28th. So I was out in my backyard shooting my bow, getting ready. I had just written around on my John Deere. And I get a text from Ryan, I'm at the airport. And my first reaction was like, oh, tomorrow you're at the airport, right? Not at the airport today. But no. No. He was there at the airport. And I was 
in my uh, in my dad clothes doing yard work shooting my bow. So I jumped in my truck and I sped down the current the road. Oh, shit. So I jumped in my truck and I sped down the road that we're currently on because uh, I didn't want Ryan to have to wait too long with the hipsters in the Austin airport. I figured he was going to get costed or you know, never know what they're gonna, <laughs> those hipsters are going to do. You don't know. They're unpredictable. And then, so I'm speeding down this road and I'm talking on the phone trying to get the day organized. And uh, what do I see? The cop pulling me over. <laughs> this cop pulls me over, comes to the door the car says sir you were going x mile an hour over the speed limit and takes my license oh ben o'brien oh cool we've met before it's like oh yeah all right i assume like that means like we're cool man like we're feeling <laughs> you did something wrong but i'll let it go <laughs> and this stern warning stern warning and this officer goes back to his car he comes back and he says I'm going to give off, issue a citation, but I got to tell you, I don't know if this does really a whole lot for you right now, but I love the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, are, are, are you going, who are you going to get? At the, I told him I was going to the airport. I was like, oh, I'm going to get Ryan Callen. He's like, oh, that's awesome. You guys are going to podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, yeah, of course we are. I'll make sure to give you a shout out. So Officer Smallwood from Dripping Springs, Texas. Appreciate your service, man. I really do. Not not saying that sarcastically. Uh, I'm sorry about that speed, and I'll uh, I'll keep it down because there's a lot of a lot more important to do than speed. You know, it's just one failure that's gonna lead to a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of victories down the road, Officer Smallwood. Did you tying it together, <laughs> Ryan Callahan, putting the bow on the podcast? Well, thanks for coming for the second one. We've been in the truck for the entire entirety of our two conversations so you're a huge part of the hunting collective and i really appreciate you uh being willing to do that oh man thank you so much and yeah always always fun to uh you know chew the fat with you well i'm uh happy to do it bye everybody that's it that's all episode number 15 is in the books thank you mr callahan for joining me one more time on the hunting collective I'd have him back every episode if I could. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation on our drive back to Austin, Texas, uh, from Sonora across the hill country. I really like this one for a bunch of reasons, but just got to sit and cruise and listen to Ryan talk about what he liked to do. Um, And his humble nature probably won't let him brag too much about his skills, but I can tell you on this hunt, he delivered impressed me enough to want to pick up a longbow myself so i may just do that you know in future hunts Uh, so thanks to ryan one more time and thanks to everybody for listening to episode number 15 we'll be back next week with episode number 16 with adam janky so adam from the journal of mountain hunting up next week good discussion on media and all that is entailed there so check us out on thehuntingcollective.com articles, videos, podcasts all kinds of stuff there for you to take in check me out on Instagram at BennyOB301 keep following along big updates to come 
big changes, hopefully for the podcast, for the positive, and hopefully we'll grow, we'll grow with you. And those of you who have listened, can't say enough about how much the support means to me and my family, my wife Hannah, my son James, everyone that has given us positive encouragement. It means a lot to our family. Hey guys, it's Steve on my phone in Hawaii, where it happens to be turkey season. And it is right now turkey week here at Meat Eater, which means tons of great turkey hunting content, a lot of great offers on turkey gear at themeateater.com, and even a calling contest where I am getting my ass thoroughly kicked. Go find it all at themeateater.com.